7. And let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this evening for truly you are worthy of honor and glory. For you are a God who loves us. You're a God who sent your Son to die for us. And how special it is even this evening to hear testimonies of your grace in the lives of sinners. For each one of us has been there. We are all the greatest of sinners. And yet you are the greatest Savior. And your grace is greater than the depths of our sin. And what a privilege to be your child. To be an heir of God in Christ. This this evening as we turn our attention to Joshua chapter 7, may you be glorified in all that we do. And may your spirit work through your word to accomplish your purpose. We pray all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My dad is a pretty big golfer. I remember Sundays growing up, I used to dread Sunday afternoons because I knew that my dad would have golf on all afternoon. It was the most boring thing to watch. But I grew to love it as well. And in 2003, actually, my dad took me uh, to the Masters, and I got to go and and be there and uh, watch around. And I'll I'll never forget, it's one of the most amazing things. I I got to stand 10 feet from Tiger Woods behind him as he hit a drive on uh, hole 18 of of Augusta National. Uh, It was a special time. And the Masters, for those of you who, who know anything about golf, you probably have heard of the Masters one of the biggest tournaments in golf. Because it's one of the greatest tournaments of golf, some of the greatest moments, victories in golf have happened at the Masters. Some of the greatest defeats have happened at the Masters. In fact, in 1996, Greg Norman had an opportunity to win the Masters. On the first day of the Masters, on Thursday of that week, he shot a 63, which was a course record. He went on to hold the lead through the next three days. And going into Sunday, he had a six-stroke lead. There was no way that anyone was going to catch him. He was going to win the Masters. Wouldn't you know it, on hole 16, 15, 16, and 17, He gave up his six-stroke lead, and he ended up losing. He completely fell apart, and Nick Faldo won the 1996 Masters Tournament. It's interesting because Greg Norman, in that one week, experiences both the highs and the lows. On the first day, he has a great victory, right? As he, he, he shoots the course record on Augusta National. And then come Sunday, he has one of the greatest meltdowns in golf history as Nick Faldo wins instead of Greg Norman. We come to Joshua chapter 7, we see a swing like that. In Joshua chapter 6, the children of Israel have, have marched against Jericho, and the Lord has given it into their hands as the walls fell down, and they, they go in and they take it. And it's a glorious victory. They're excited. They're joyful. The Lord is honored. Then we come to Joshua chapter 7, and we see a great defeat. 
we work our, through, our way through Joshua 7, we'll see their sin, we'll see defeat, we'll see justice, and we'll see restoration. Let's read Joshua 7, 1 to 26. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on, the, on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived. They have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up! Sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerhites. And he brought the family of the Zerhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done 
Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. It's a familiar passage. The story of Achan. The first thing we see in chapter 7 verse 1 is sin. There's sin in the camp. The children of Israel committed a trespass. Now if you're paying attention, that should catch you off guard. The children of Israel committed a trespass. We've just read all throughout Joshua 7 that it's very clearly one man. It's Achan who has committed a trespass. In fact, verse 1 goes on to say that the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of these cursed things. But then it goes back. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So if Achan took the thing, if Achan, if Achan is the one who sinned, why is it Israel who's committed a trespass and why is the Lord's anger burning against Israel? See, this is key to understand in order to, to understand this chapter. Because it's true that Achan is the one who has sinned. And as we've already seen in Joshua chapter 7, he will be held personally, personably, per, personal, personally accountable for his sin. But Israel is a covenant community. In Exodus 23 through Exodus 24, they, as a nation, agree to a covenant with God. They enter into a very specific covenant where God says, I will do this. I will do this, and I will do this, and I will give you this land, and I will give you this, and this, and this, and you will do this, and you will do this, and you will do this. And the people say, all these things we will do. On more than one occasion, they say, all these things we will do. Israel entered into this covenant together. And when this covenant is broken, they break this covenant together. They are held responsible for the sin that is in their midst until the sin is handled. And so in a very real sense, Achan's sin is their sin. Achan has drugged them all down with him. 
And he can ascend against God, but he's also sinned against his brethren. In fact, what's interesting is, is verse 1, this uh, genealogy of Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. It's one of the most detailed uh, genealogies in Joshua. And the fact that it is here is for the purpose to show that he is indeed of this covenant people. He is of this people who have made this covenant with God, and therefore God's anger against his people is righteous. For God is just, and they have sinned. There is sin in their midst. And that's the problem. Verses 2 to 9, then, we see the consequence defeat. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. That's a familiar phrase. That's not the first time that we've heard that. If you remember, when they were about to cross the Jordan, Joshua sent men to go out and spy out Jericho. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when the spies return. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. The problem is that in Joshua 2, when the spies return, they say, Let us go, for the Lord has given us this land. Here in Joshua 7, when the spies return, they say, let's go, for we can do this. They are few. We don't even need our full army. This this will be easy. The stark absent of the Lord speaking in verses 2 to 5 stands out. It stands in contrast to the first six chapters where the Lord speaks and then the people go. The Lord speaks, and then they obey. Not only do we not see the Lord speaking, we don't see his name at all in this section. They choose to go in their own strength. They've become proud. You see, the problem here in Joshua 7 is not just Achan's sin. It's pride. It's pride in the people of Israel. They fail to realize that that it is God who will give them the land. It's not them that will take it by force. It is God who will give it. So they go and they face defeat. Their great victory over Jericho was God's great victory. And here they meet defeat, not because their enemy is stronger, not because their God is weaker, but because they look to themselves rather than to God. What's interesting is that there's more than one thing at play here. We know as the chapter goes on and and, and Joshua and the people fall before the Lord and the Lord says, I am not with you because there is sin in your midst. I I can't help but wonder if these 36 men had to die. What if Joshua and these people would have sought the Lord before going to Ai? maybe the Lord would have said, don't go because there's sin in your midst. Don't go because I won't go with you until you handle this. 
but they didn't seek the Lord. They become proud and they went in their own strength and they found defeat. 36 men die. In verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. Finally, in verse 6, finally they go to the Lord. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? What's interesting as you read this is it's a very emotional response. He is overtaken with grief. What is going on? He even says, he goes as far to say, Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. That would not have been a good thing. It's not good to be content when God has called you to go. To be content on the other side of the Jordan would have been sin because God had called them to go and to take the land. It goes on, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it. The tide has turned. We had them fearing. They were running. And now we are the ones who are fearing. They are the ones who embolden. What will we do? We will be cut off from the earth. This is important. Then what will you do for your great name? Joshua grounds his plea in God's glory. His, his, his plea here may not all be right. To stay on the other side of the Jordan, that would not have been a good thing. But the fact that he grounds it in the glory of God is a good thing. It's a right thing. What will you do for your great name? They face this defeat. They are overwhelmed. They don't know the way forward. And in verse 10, the Lord speaks. So the Lord said to Joshua, finally the Lord speaks, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. See, the problem here, Joshua, is not that I have failed you. I have not failed you. You have failed me. Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've even taken some of the accursed things. They've both stolen and deceived. They've also put it among their own stuff. The problem is that you have failed. I never left you. I didn't abandon you. You abandoned me. You left me. What's interesting to note here is that God, how, how much God knows. God knows not just that stuff was taken. He knows even where it is. He says they've put it among their own stuff. Achan thought that he'd gotten away with something. He thought that, that, that he was able to hide his sin, that, that no one knew, but the Lord knew he had taken it, and the Lord knew where he hid it. How often do we feel all alone when, when no one's there? How often do, do we consider the fact that the Lord is watching? In fact, how often has this thought crossed your mind? I know God is watching, but does it matter? 
Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Have you ever realized God's watching, but it doesn't affect me at all? And yet it does. God is watching. God knows. Therefore, the children, verse 12, therefore, the children of Israel, this is why, because of your sin, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. And this is where it gets real. Neither will I be with you anymore. You have abandoned me. I will abandon you. I will not be with you anymore. As the previous generation had failed to obtain the promise, so this generation will fail to obtain the promise. As their fathers failed before them, so they will fail. Unless. Unless. What a great word that is, unless. There is a way forward. There is hope. Unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves. It's a familiar phrase. We saw it in Joshua 3, verse 5. Prepare yourself. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In verse 14, God goes through. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring you by tribe, by family, by man. In the verse 15, then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has. As Jericho was devoted, was devoted to destruction by fire, so the one who, is took, who took of the accursed thing shall be devoted to destruction by fire. Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. Because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. That word disgraceful carries the idea of something that is shockingly wicked. See, the problem here, Achan's sin, is not a mere misstep. It's not a mistake in a moment. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is purposeful rebellion. Achan's sin is more than a misstep. It's an act of rebellion against God. God was very clear in chapter 6 with his instruction. And Achan, Achan's actions show a brazen, a shocking disregard for God. And he's done this thing in Israel. This sin is against God and it's against his countrymen. His brothers, his brethren. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning. That's, again, that's not the first time we've heard that phrase. In fact, what's interesting is every time that Joshua has something to do, every time Joshua, God gives Joshua a task, Joshua rises early in the morning to do it. I think there's a lesson for us to not put off what God has called us to. 
It's not the point of this passage, but I think that is something you can pull out of this passage. When through six chapters, every time God says, do this, and then it says, Joshua rose early in the morning to do it. What God says is of the utmost importance to Joshua. And it should be to us as well. So they go through this process that God has given them. In verse 18, And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. I remember the first time I ever heard the story of, of Achan, Joshua chapter 7. Uh, it was in Sunday school. In fact, it was one of those lessons we learned on a felt board. And I remember that. And I remember the teacher pointing out, can you imagine the feeling in his heart? As they go up there, and his tribe is called. And then his family is called. And then he is called. As it narrows down. Before the tribes are called, there's still, you know, hope. He's, you know, surely, what are the chances? As it narrows in, the chances are high because it's God who's at work. Verse 19, now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Sin has consequences. Sin can be forgiven, but sin has consequences. Verse 20 and 21, Achan confesses. He tells Joshua exactly what he did. He tells Joshua exactly uh, why he did it and where it is. Indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel. I think by confessing here, Joshua, or by confessing, Achan has an opportunity here not to avoid the consequences. There's consequences for sin. But he has an opportunity to repent. Because true repentance, true repentance owns one's sin even in the face of severe consequences. Achan knew what was coming. It had been very clear this person will be stoned, they'll be killed, they'll be burned. He could have made excuses. He could have said, I don't know, you you can go search my tent. Surely they're not going to dig in the ground and find this. But he repents. True repentance recognizes the seriousness of sin and does not expect special treatment. He chooses to own his sin before God and before Israel. I have done this. Many have actually noted the the slippery slope in the progression of Achan's sin. Verse 21, he says, or verse 20 says, I have sinned against the Lord. 21, explaining, he says, I saw among the spoils of the, 
these things. I coveted them. I took them, and I hid them. There's a progression there. I saw, I coveted, I took, I hid. Sin almost never stands alone. It's a dangerous progression down a road of destruction. But there is hope. There is forgiveness. So Joshua sent the messengers, verse 22, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. Something else that stands out to me here is the illogical nature of sin. What was Achan planning to do with these things that he had taken? He couldn't spend them. He couldn't cash them in. Everyone would know. What was he going to do with it? The pleasure of sin pales in comparison to the cost of sin. I think Achan here comes to realize that. So they take these things from his tent and they bring them and they they lay it out before the Lord for it is his. They return it to the Lord. And Achan, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. It all become accursed. We're never actually told whether his family knew or not. I think it's likely they knew. It'd be difficult not for them to know. But whether they knew or not, they had become accursed by Achan's sin. Whether they knew or not, we know that their punishment was just, for God is just. And if they did know, they should have told. Loyalty to God is more important than loyalty to anything else. And so here we see the justice of God. As all Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. In verse 26, we see restoration. Then they raised over them a great heap of stones, still there to this day. As the memorial at Gilgal had been a reminder of God's faithfulness, so this pile of stones would serve as a memorial of sorts to God's holiness, to God's justice. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, as he promised as he would in verse 12. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Accor to this day. So I was studying this passage this week and, and thinking through what, what is the application of this. came to this conclusion that a proper response to the truth of Joshua 7 is to realize the serious nature of sin. Not to look out at other sin, but to look in at my own sin. Like Achan, we are all shockingly wicked. I love that phrase, shockingly wicked. It, it grabs your attention. 
And truly we are. For we have all sinned against a holy God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, not, not raising our hands, not talking to anyone else, but if I am honest with myself, if I look at my heart, not just my actions, but my motives, who I am, I don't think I can come to any other conclusion in honesty than to say that I am shockingly wicked. But the grace of God is greater than the depth of my sin. The question then is, like Achan, will we repent? Do we love God and hate sin enough to take the necessary steps regardless of the consequences? Because you see, that is repentance. Repentance is turning from sin regardless of the consequences. How often do we think in our hearts, I I know I need to take care of this, but I'll just deal with it myself. Because think what I could lose. And true repentance says, God is more important than what I could lose. We're going to close with the song, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy.